Well, good morning, America. This is your host, Mark Dunnigan, and you have just turned into the Daily Answer. You know, we often think of, when we think of the power of the Word of God, a passage that immediately comes to my mind is Romans 1.16, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. But then it quickly adds, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The real power, the real power in God's word is only for those who are honest with the message and obey it. I think Hebrews chapter four along these lines, verses one and two, where it reminds us of the generation that came out of the land of bondage. It says, you know what? We've had good news preached to us too. I mean, they, they heard a message of good news. I'm going to liberate you. I love you. I, I care about you. I'm going to take you to a land of promise, a land of milk and honey. That was good news. Well, we've heard good news as well. But then it said the message they heard did not profit them. Why? Because it was, uni- it was not united with faith that the people did not bring to the message trust and belief. And therefore, everything falls flat, and it's an epic failure, one of the big epic failures well, of the Bible, one of the, one of the biggest epic failure generations there's ever been, who had more blessings and saw more miracles and interact with Moses and saw the Red Sea parted and you name it, and failed to trust God, had all the evidence in the world, had a mountain of evidence, and failed to trust him. You see that equally in chapter 11. In chapter 11, you have some imperfect people, Abraham, David, Samson, Jephthah, Gideon. And yet, the great contrast to me in Hebrews 11 is, if you think about it, when David operated on his feelings, he commits adultery. When Abraham yields to feelings, he lies about Sarah being his wife. Jephthah goes with his feelings, his gut. He makes rash promises. He offers up his daughter as a sacrifice. Samson is a train wreck, dumb as dirt with women when he goes by feelings. Gideon, the same thing. But when they trust God completely, when they trust God completely, they do absolutely amazing things. And the thought is, here you are, imperfect. You're imperfect like they are, that you're fallible. But if you trust God, and as the book of Proverbs says, chapter 3, in all your ways acknowledge him, like around 4, 5, 6, man, you will be surprised at what you will able, you'll be able to do. You will be surprised at what you accomplish in life if you simply trust God. But, you know, there's a number of passages that equally stress the powerful, penetrating nature of God's word. First of all, it's likened to a seed. And seeds have immense power. I think the seed of a redwood tree is like the size of an oat flake. And yet it ends up producing a tree that is the tallest on the face of the earth. That tree comes from a very simple tiny seed. And yet within that seed, there is amazing power. 
The gospel is likened to a seed. The word of God is likened to a seed. Luke chapter 8, verse 11. I don't think that's, that's an accident. Seeds are living things. 1 Peter chapter 1, 23 through 25. The Bible is likened to incorruptible seed. And the language is it's living and abiding. It's alive. I don't think we ever think of scripture that way or the word of God that way. It's a living thing. Seeds grow. Not only do they just increase, they want to multiply. And so the parable of the sower you have when an honest, good heart embraces the seed, the word of God, you have an increase of like a hundredfold in that parable. Seeds always multiply way beyond their initial size. You think of like, well, you've, have you ever planted carrots? I mean, it's this little thing that to me, it's hard just to have like one seed in your finger and you're supposed to drop it in. I mean, that produces a that produces something many times its size and amazing and flavorful. And so I think the Holy Spirit's trying to tell us, hey, you guys, the word of God is actually alive. It's a living thing. Or as someone noted years ago, for a long time, they thought they were studying the Bible. And they finally realized, I'm not sure if it's so much I'm studying the Bible as it's the Bible's studying me, looking at me, penetrating me, asking me, do you do that? Asking me, what about you? What are you going to do? almost demanding that I make a decision constantly. In the book of Hebrews chapter four, there's another passage along these lines in verses 12 through 13, which talks about the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And then it says it's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's pretty powerful because, man, how do you know what somebody's intentions are unless you, unless they tell you? You might guess, you might guess and you might be right, but you might guess and you might be wrong. You can, you can misjudge people. You can, you can get their motivations and their intentions completely wrong. But the word of God looks like is able to quickly judge, expose your most inward thoughts and intentions. That is the real you. And it's interesting, it doesn't take 20 years of therapy to draw out what's really on the inside, all the deep, deep things that have been suppressed. It's almost like a simple reading of the Bible or hearing the Bible taught can quickly bring out who you really are. Actually, I think in... In the book of Acts, we find that. And in Jesus' teaching, when Jesus taught and he taught the truth, immediately that truth brought out in people, were they humble? Did they come to him asking for help? Were like, they like the, the woman who showed up convicted of her sins. And so she's crying and she's wiping her, his feet with her hair and her tears. Or it, it exposed that people were cunning and they were not honest with the truth, like the Pharisees and the scribes and the lawyers. And that came out really quick. 
And the same thing is found in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, when Peter and the 11 preached the gospel in Acts 2, 3,000 people cry out after they heard the gospel, men and brethren, what shall we do? Immediately, God's word found those people. Now, there were other people that did not cry out. In the book of Acts chapter 7, 51 through 53, a crowd hears the truth there. Here's a great sermon. And yet they became, they become angry and they kill the preacher. But that word that was preached immediately exposed them for who they were. They were murderous, selfish individuals. That was their intentions. That was their thoughts. They didn't want God telling them what to do. They were determined to do what they wanted to do. They did not want God telling them what to believe or how to live, but rather they would decide all of that. And if it went against their preconceived ideas, they were putting an end to that right away. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13, it says that Paul says he's grateful that when the Thessalonians heard his preaching, they recognized it for what it really was, the word of God. Then it says, which performs its work in you who believe. I think that's an interesting passage because there's something, and of course, first of all, that's not working against your will. That's, it's not that God's word forces you to do something that you don't want to do or takes over your life and you have no free will left. But it reminds me of another passage in the book of Ephesians chapter two, one through three, that talks about Satan and the prince of the power of the air, which now works in the sons of disobedience. You see, something's always working in you, not controlling you, not working against your will, but you're never neutral. There's always a spirit in you, so to speak. That is, what you say always reveals who you're following, who you're listening to. You're never neutral. At the end of the day, you're either listening to and following Satan, the world, etc., short-term thinking, or it's God. And what I want you to really be impressed with is that pay close attention to what you say and think. Because at times you will say something and it's like, wait a minute, who just said that? If you read a Bible passage and the Bible is telling you to do something and you immediately respond, well, I can't do that. I could never do that. Wait a minute. That's not God talking through you because God says you can. Who's talking through you at that moment? Who is that? Where'd that voice come from? And whose voice is that? Always be very mindful of what you're thinking. If you start thinking things that are not biblical, you're, you're listening to a sermon and you're kind of arguing with it in your head, but it's the truth. Who's arguing? There's always something working in you. 
And you want that thing to be working in you to be truth, God's word. That's what you want working in you. The other thing I want you to know is that there are some of you that are going to listen to this podcast that have loved ones that you've been trying to reach with the gospel. Maybe you have children that you taught them the right way, but they've turned their back on it as they got older. What I want to tell you, or maybe there's been friends or relatives, co-workers that you've really been working on, but man, you just can't seem to get any headway. I want you to be impressed with the fact that the word of God is a seed, and that seed is always wanting to take root persistently. And that in order, in order for that seed not to take root in you, you really have to work at that. The people that you know and love, that it just seems like that you cannot get through to them. It's not that God's word is not powerful. It's that they're having to put up quite a, a, they're having to put in a lot of effort to resist it. You really have to work at not becoming a Christian, not becoming a believer. You really have to work at saying no to scripture and no to God. Not only that, but when you share God's truth, a passage, whatever, with someone, and they give you a hard no, like, would you like a Bible study? No. Okay. In order to give a hard no, what, what they're saying by that hard no is, I understand the power of the message you have. That is, I'm afraid that if I listen to it, give it a fair hearing, I might become a Christian too. And there are some things I don't want to give up. If you show some of a passage and they get really mad, flustered, understand this. That anger is proof that the word rooted. It took heart. It hit home. You see, once you see a Bible passage, once you read a passage like Mark 16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Once you, once you read that, you can't get that out of your head. Man, you might, you're going to have to, if you don't want to do that, you're going to have to spend the rest of your life trying to erase that. And that's going to be exhausting. You share the gospel with a child. And long after you're gone, if they did not obey it, when they're 75 years old, they're still arguing with Mark 16, 16. And that word that you shared is powerful. And that word that you shared is constantly seeking to root itself in their heart. So even if it seems like the gospel has not made an impact upon someone, as if it just ran off their back like water, think again. I've often found that to be completely inaccurate. Behind the scenes, that individual, when all alone, is struggling with what they've heard because the message is alive. It refuses to die. It demands a response. This is Mark Dunnigan for The Daily Answer. Until next time, see you in the funny papers, my friends.